how to improve your lifts, can you train the same muscle every day, and tips on improving your cardio, also called your lactic acid threshold, today on Body Performance. I'm Steve Carano. Welcome to Body Performance, the podcast designed to help you reach your weight loss, fitness, and bodybuilding goals. Back in the gym, hopefully your gyms are opening up where you are, and everybody's just trying to get back in shape. And the first thing I notice as I'm training legs, there's a personal trainer next to me with a young woman, and she says, I've got a bad knee. So naturally, he puts her on the hack machine, which puts a lot of pressure on the knee. And then the next thing I hear him say is, don't press with your heels. And I want to get out of the leg press and choke him to death and tell her, I did you a favor. Let me show you what you need to do. Stop thinking in terms of pushing with your heels. When you extend your knee, which is done by the quads, it doesn't matter whether you're pushing with your foot, your toe, your heel. It doesn't matter because you're not pushing with your heel or your toe or the middle of your foot. You're pushing with the quad. So however you have to push the weight up, push the platform back, stand your ass up while doing squats, just do it. The important thing is that you're stable and you don't fall over. Let me give you some quick tips on how to improve your lifting. Now, if you are lifting light weights, whether you're a man or a woman, some of these tips really won't come into play. But if you are trying to maximize your potential, maximize your lifts, you're lifting heavier, you're getting to the last rep, trying to grind it out, these might help you. The first thing you have to do is do not hold the weight after you've executed the exercise. In other words, if you've curled the weight up, don't hold the weight in the curl position. Curl it up and let it down. Also, don't curl the weight and then flex your biceps. Don't bench press the weight and hold it there. Bench press it and then drop it down and bench it again. Don't bench press and then flex your chest. When doing squats, don't complete a rep. Stand there with the weight on your shoulders, flex your quads, and then do another rep. All this time you're standing there holding a weight or lying there holding a weight in your arms, you are using up valuable ATP, the energy molecule that you're using to lift the weight. And remember, you've just completed a rep with a tremendous amount of weight. You are not going to flex the muscle any harder or generate any more change in the muscle past what has occurred as you've lifted that heavy weight. You just squatted 300 pounds, and then you're going to flex your quads a little bit more, and that's going to put the icing on the cake. That's going to bring you over the top. How about doing two or three more reps with that weight? That's going to do it. You just curled 100 pounds with one hand, or 150 pounds with two hands. So you're going to stand there and flex your biceps at the top, or you're going to pull down 250 pounds on the pull-down machine, and then you're going to hold it, which is very hard, can could put a lot of pressure on the joints and the back and things like that, but you're going to hold it and flex your back. You just flexed your back, pulling that weight down to your chin. These are all myths that were generated by Joe Weider. God love the guy. He created an empire of bodybuilding, but a lot of this stuff is just bullshit. If you're done, you put the weight down. If you want to flex your quads or stand there and pose in the mirror, by all means, do it. Believe it or not, flexing is a coordination. If you don't flex for a while, meaning like six months or a year, it's actually hard to do. But adding additional flexing and holding and posing and squeezing 
after you've completed a rep is stupid. It's irrelevant. It's not even important because it doesn't create as much trauma as lifting the actual weight and it uses up valuable energy that you could be using to complete additional reps. Another important topic is hand position or hand grip, especially on bench press and pull down exercises or rowing exercises. A lot of guys, when they start lifting, are lifting with one of their buddies, and their buddy tells them where to put their hands on the bar. And that's okay, but as you begin to get stronger, you might realize, hey, as I'm handling heavier and heavier weight, this doesn't feel okay. I think my hands or my grip needs to be a little wider or a little narrower based on how you were built. Again, based on your biomechanics. So don't be scared to move your hands in, out, whether it's a finger or two width, meaning you move it out just the width of a finger or two, uh, it'll make a big difference. Subtle changes like that really can help improve your power. I know when guys do pull-downs, no matter how tall they are, no matter how big the bar is, they will try to grab it at the ends of the bar. I, I, I don't understand this. You're five and a half feet tall. You put a five-foot bar on the pull-down machine, and now you're going to grab it by the handles. Your arms are almost stretched out parallel to the floor. How are you going to pull that bar down to your chin with any type of weight or resistance? So you can't just blindly grab a handle. If you were 6'5", it would work. But if you're 5'5", five five, you're going to have to move your hands inward so you're able to generate some real force during a pull-down. So these are some of the things that people who are either inexperienced don't get or they say, oh, if I take a wider grip, I'll have a wider back. Not the case. When you bench press, have that bar sit in your hand so the bar is in alignment with the bones of the forearm. I'm sure you've seen guys bench press and that bar is torqued back in their hand almost to the point where it's bending the wrist back. That changes the physics and the dynamics of the exercise because you have too many angles. Very difficult and it doesn't maximize your potential to bench press. Also, when guys are bench pressing, they drop the bar too low on their chest, meaning it's towards their feet too much. Usually, it's one to two inches. If they drop the bar a little closer to their chin, meaning slid it up just a little bit, as they drove the bar upwards, it would go straight up or arc up over their face and not glide towards their feet. doesn't matter if you're not lifting much weight because you're able to pull that weight back and straighten it out. But as you begin to hit your maximum weight, it's hard to correct right in the middle of your rep, especially if you're handling big weight. And the moment you stop that pushing, that explosive force, that weight stops and begins to come down, especially if you're at the end of your sets, at the end of your reps, or you're maxing. So again, when you drop the bar down, drop it just an inch to two inches higher on the chest. It'll make a big difference. If you're doing barbell curls, whether it's a straight bar or a curl bar, Curl your wrists inward like you're doing a wrist curl. Don't let your wrists flop backwards. What people don't understand is, is as you are curling that weight, your forearms are flexing to help you curl that weight as well. As the forearms flex, so does the biceps. As you can generate more force with the forearms through your grip and through flexing the wrists, you'll generate more power through the biceps. You'll also put the weight in a better position to complete the rep, therefore allowing you to handle heavier weight. When you incline bench press and you drop that bar down, most guys drop it too low on their chest, and as they push it up, the bar begins to head outwards towards their feet. Very similar to bench press. If you're using light weight, no big deal. But if you're handling heavy weight or you're 
finishing up your last few reps, you got to stop that motion because if you keep driving, you're going to launch that weight towards your toes. That bar should just come down and just almost clip the tip of your chin. That's where it should be, and then you should be able to drive it straight up over your eyeballs. In other words, if you're holding that bar, I should be able to push down on that bar without it starting to glide towards your feet or slide forward. If that is the way you are holding the bar, when you notice if you step to the side and you look at a guy doing incline barbell or incline dumbbell presses, the bar should be going straight up and down. It should not be angling forward towards their feet. These subtleties, again, don't make a big difference if you're not handling heavy weight. But if you're handling heavy weight, you're trying to grind out those last few, or you're going for maximum, or you're training at 90%, these things do make a difference and they do add up and it'll make things a lot easier for you as you handle heavier weight. Now I want to answer my buddy's question over in England. Paul asked, hey Steve, could you on your podcast talk about doing the same movement every day but not super intense, but increasing the weight over time, like carrying a calf every day until it's a cow. Would that make sense? Would you be able to get bigger and stronger? What do you think about that? And the problem with that is this. You can't get super big and super strong doing that because to generate big muscular hypertrophy or abnormal muscular growth and strength, you have to handle crazy weights You have to train the muscle with tremendous intensity, and then you have to allow the muscle to rest and recuperate. If you were doing push-ups every day, not that big a deal. Because again, not a huge, hard exercise. It's lightweight, done repetitively. You don't need huge amounts of recovery. Again, it's almost like being a farmer or a construction worker. They do the same repetitive movements every day, and those guys are crazy strong. They're not able to bench press 500 pounds, but if you shake their hand, they've got like a bone-crushing grip. In order to get that kind of big muscular hypertrophy that a bodybuilder has, unfortunately, you can't train the same muscle every day because the amount of intensity that is needed to generate big size and big strength also requires significant amounts of rest. If you trained heavy every day, pretty soon you would overtrain. Your strength would begin to decline your muscles would begin to feel weak, you would lose power, you would lose strength. And when I was in California, I was talking to a guy who just happened to be named Steve, who'd asked me, what do you think about deadlifting every day? I go, bad idea. Well, I saw this guy on YouTube, and he deadlifted every day, and his deadlift increased. I go, well, his may have, yours won't, because he wasn't really deadlifting every day, he's just putting out a bullshit video. He didn't listen, and then two weeks later, he goes, you know, you were right. And I go, well, thank you. I could have saved you two weeks of wasted time, wasted energy, and the potential to hurt your lower back. But again, you can't train a muscle with tremendous intensity every day and not allow it enough rest. And that's one of the reasons we set up our workouts the way we do. Train chest on Monday, and then you don't train shoulders until Thursday, giving you Tuesday and Wednesday to allow them to rest after chest. You train back on Wednesday, and you can either train biceps with back which I'm not real crazy about, or you train biceps on Friday, giving you Thursday to rest your biceps from back. The next question is from Aman, and it's about cardio. He's been running during the quarantine, as most of us have, and as part of his daily workouts. He's running three miles three times a week and then walking every day. And he asks, is this too much? Do you have any insights? I'll give you my perspective on this. 
First thing is be careful who you're taking running or lifting advice from. A guy that jogs three miles a day is going to give you different advice than a guy who jogs 15 miles a day. It's about increasing your strength and your endurance. That's how you improve your cardio, through strength and endurance. But really, what does that mean? Number one, even if you have the cardiovascular ability to run 20 miles, is your body strong enough? Will your legs hold out? Will your form crumble as your upper body tires? And number two, do you have the cardiovascular capacity to perform your type of cardio, whatever it is? Is that running marathons? Is that going for an easy five-mile jog? Is it a one- to two-mile run? Or is it a 40-meter sprint? So what we're really talking about is how do we improve our lactic acid threshold? How long can we go for and at what pace before we have to slow down or stop before the lactic acid threshold has been reached? There are millions of ways to train when it comes to running because we can create many different variables. Distance, time, speed, incline, terrain, rest periods, or any combination of these. There's only 24 hours in a day, and most of us don't have endless amounts of energy because we're not professional athletes. And we have other shit to do. We're husbands, we're wives, we're, we have kids, those pesky things called jobs, running businesses, yard work, house cleaning, laundry, cooking, and so on. You know who should be a damn marathoner and skinny as a rail? Oprah. She's got billions of dollars and nothing to do. She has no excuse. And because of our limits of time, doing a variety of effective interval training is hard. That's why I'm going to talk about focusing on doing one type of interval training a day. If you want to mix things up, just pick one. This is probably different advice than a track coach would give his 20-year-old athletes, but I'm talking about real, usable advice for real life. Therefore, I would pick one type of cardio and do that for the day. And this is what I would suggest. Take a day and think in terms of time and not distance. Today, I'm going to run for 45 minutes regardless of how far I go. This works your cardiovascular system at a steady, manageable pace. Another day, I would think in terms of speed or pace, covering a certain distance at a certain speed or pace. Remember, when I said be careful about who you talk to about cardio, the distance could be 1 to 2 miles, 4 to 5 miles, or 10 to 12 miles, depending on your size, physique, and what you want to accomplish and what you're able to do. But the pace should be a bit breathy. You're doing cardio, but you're just on the verge of being out of breath. You might be able to do it for two to three minutes and maintain that pace, but then you have to slow down the pace for two to three minutes to catch your breath. You're still doing cardio, but you're just doing it at a slower speed. And then you increase your speed back up to the pace that kind of made you breathy for two or three minutes. And then you, again, do this on a, a cycle. And this taxes your cardiovascular system on a cyclic basis. And then finally, a third way of training would be, let's say, an easy warm-up, which might be a quarter of a mile jog, a half mile jog, a one mile jog. And then it's time to really push the lactic acid. And that means sprints. And again, they could be 50 yards or 50 meters, 100 meters or 150 meters. And then the amount of rest between sets or sprints can vary as well. With a shorter distance, you might have less exertion because it doesn't last as long and you need less rest. 
But if you're stretching it out to 100 to 150 yards or meters, as you walk back, that might be your rest, or you might need additional time once you hit the starting point again. This is why I say pick one of those types of cardio and do it for the day since time and energy are limited. And again, you can mix and match. Use this technique to mix it up, uh, keep your cardio fresh and interesting. This is the type of training that will allow you to increase your performance because you're pushing all aspects of cardio. Short, explosive, intense cardio, mid-range where you're able to force yourself to continue even though you're uncomfortable and kind of getting out of breath. And then there's easier cardio that allows you to perform for much longer periods of time. And remember, these distances and times will vary based on your size, your performance, conditioning level, what you want to achieve, and so on and so forth. You know, if you're a marathoner or a distance athlete, it's going to be different than if you're an intermittent or an interval athlete, like let's say a soccer or a lacrosse or a hockey or a basketball player versus an explosive athlete like a sprinter, a running back, or a lineman. Hopefully these give you some ideas on how to keep your cardio fresh because let me tell you, sometimes cardio is the worst thing in the world. I'd rather not eat than have to do another 30 minutes of cardio. But unfortunately, cardio is a necessary evil. Even if you're lean as could be or even if you don't want to lose weight, cardio is a necessary evil to maintain your cardiovascular ability. It's not critical when you're 20, but once you hit 30, 40, 50, and 60, your cardiovascular ability begins to diminish, and I don't care how many muscles you have. I'd like to thank Thomas Hogan. He was generous enough to give me a contribution through Patreon. That was really cool, my first Patreon contribution. So thank you very much, Thomas. I really appreciate it. If you have any questions, give me a shout on Instagram. Give me a shout on Facebook. I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm happy to help in any way. I'm Steve Tarano, and this is Body Performance.